there's so much information out there, but not all of that information is actually useful. People will drive into you that these certain data points are the only things that matter. And I think as brokers, we need to take that information, synthesize it, and help people understand what it means for them. Welcome to For Real Estate, a podcast about the greater Portland, Maine real estate market for buyers, sellers, and industry professionals. I'm Nova Tower, your host and realtor at Portside Real Estate Group. 2017, I decided I'd moved around enough and I wanted to buy a house or maybe a two unit. And my partner at the time, my now husband, was pretty into the idea of a multi-unit. Today, I'm talking with my colleague, Kaylee Moore, realtor at Portside Real Estate Group, investor and property manager at Presumpscott Property Management. So we spent about six months finding the perfect one. And up until this year, uh, owner-occupied, we fixed it up and we were able to use some of that money to buy another multi-unit. And we've kind of just continued on that trend from there. I wanted to talk with Kaylee because I admire her. I love her story and I relate to her story in some ways. And I think it's one that a lot of listeners will be inspired by. Kaylee has done the thing that so many of my own investment buyer clients want to achieve. She and her husband, Ed, had full-time jobs in other industries. Kaylee was a social worker doing in-home mental health counseling. They wanted to buy a home together, and they started with one multi-unit building. They owner-occupied and fixed it up. They leveraged that property to buy another, and then rinse and repeat. In a short window of time, they scaled up to eight buildings with 35 units. Some of those are owned with investment partners. They quit their jobs, Kaylee became a real estate broker, and together they launched their property management business, which manages over 100 units. They did all of this in about five years. I mean... Right around the time we had our second multi We were also doing Airbnb and it kind of got to be a lot with having a nine to five and then also doing all of these things on the side. So I decided to take a bit of a leap and transition careers. And I started as a broker at Portside and I'm still there today. So a couple years into that, we were managing enough units that it made sense to start a property management business. We felt like We would rather pay ourselves to take care of our properties than pay somebody else to do it and maybe not care as much as we do because it's not theirs. So we started our property management business in 2019, I think. And we now manage uh, just over 100 apartments, primarily on the peninsula in Portland. Your entrance to real estate was not as a real estate agent first, but as an investor first, and really started with one small step into it. And it didn't start with this huge ambition um, and to have a whole portfolio of your own. It started as, let's just get this investment property and see where it takes us. You're also um, a type of investor where you're, you're doing the work and the management yourselves, which gives you a really holistic view of the investor experience. So. I think today what would be so great is to share that exact perspective. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. I was thinking about this the other day that I don't think I ever would have thought that this is where I would be career-wise, you know, eight years ago. It has just grown really organically. And I think when I realized, you know, what investing can offer you in your life and the flexibility and 
freedom that it can give you, even though it is a lot of work. Uh, it just really started to, to make a lot of sense. And I also got lucky that my husband is extremely talented and very, very handy and has been able to do a lot of incredible work on our buildings that I, you know, if it was just me, I might've chosen a different type of investing path, but we kind of just started with one and wanted to see where it, where it takes us. And now here we are. So what would be your advice? I mean, thinking back to when you got started and to where you are now, what is your advice for buyers who are trying to get into this? I think the biggest thing that I talk to people about isn't necessarily the actual investment, but it's more of what's your life like and what do you want your life to be like? And that will help guide where you might want to go. There are people who have time and energy and maybe they don't have a lot of money. So they're doing the sweat equity. There's people who are farther on in their careers and they work full time and they have some money and want to invest, but they don't want to be very hands-on. And I think having a really honest conversation with yourself about what your skills are, what your life is like, what your other responsibilities are, will help you figure out where you want to fall. And from there, you'll kind of find your path and you'll find what works for you. I think for myself, even still to this day, as recently as yesterday, when we were talking, I will get kind of distracted by other types of investing because there's a million ways to do real estate investing. And so I think a big part of it is, is finding what works for you and trying to keep replicating that and learning from each time what works, what doesn't, and add more of the things that are working and take away a lot of the things that aren't. We found our niche, which is value add putting in sweat equity, fixing things up and taking care of them. Um, Other people might find a different way and all of those things are okay. So you buy properties that maybe are in need of some uh, TLC and you give them that through sweat equity, you fix them up and and then you reinvest in them. So I want to zoom in on what that means because I know you, so I know what that means, but people listening might not. Um, Because I think this is a really, you know, there are, as you said, there are many different ways to think about investment. And some of that might be thinking about a short-term return on your investment, right? So you want cash. You want it to generate cash right out the gate. You want it to pay you money on a monthly basis. And other people might be thinking about it more as a a long-term play. And I think that's what you mean when you say, you know, you're that, that you're in it for the long haul and you're reinvesting the buildings. Can you talk a little bit more about the differences between those two things and how that might affect buyers as they're looking at property? Yeah. So we really are planning for the long term. We're not really trying to make money off our buildings right now. So that money we've decided is supposed to go back into the buildings and give people nice places to live and make sure that things are maintained and heating systems are working well and all of that. And over time in 20 or 30 years, we'll see the payoff from that. And that will be part of our our plan for retirement or that next phase of life. We don't evaluate things as to how much money can we get out of a building right now. When we're looking at the numbers, we're looking at how it's going to maintain itself over time, what the expenses are that we would expect capital improvements. We need to make things like that. And then you know, from there we would evaluate if it's a good investment. So that's the path that we've chosen. Um, And Ed does a lot of the work himself and and does a great job. And we then can build equity within those buildings. We could do a cash out refi or when you own or occupy maybe a HELOC and you can then take that money to invest in an additional building or an additional investment. 
So that's what we've chosen to do um, and really are thinking about how we can maintain things well over the span of time. This is so great. So I want to recap what I think I've just heard of out of all of that stuff. What do you need the investment to do for you? Is it a long-term play? Are you going to be taking that cash and be putting it back into the property? And are you primarily focusing on building equity in that case rather than a cash return? There's there's eventually a cash return, right? And it's just the long-term. Or do you need the cash return up front? Is that your goal? Are you trying to get something that cash flows up front? Those in and of themselves, those two things might be very different investments, two very different ways of, impro- of approaching investment and may dramatically affect the type of properties you're looking at. And then the next piece that I heard that was so, I love the way you put this is because this is so true. Most people, they either have time or money is what you said. They don't usually have both. Um, and which one are you, which, which of those two resources are you going to leverage to make your investment work for you in the best way that it can? I can honestly say, and I've invested in real estate. I, I don't know that I've ever gone into it as thoughtfully as that. I've just kind of thought, oh, look at this property over here. I think I can make this work. I'm just going to take a shot at it. And And I've probably just gotten lucky, but. (laughs) Well, you're also very hardworking. So give yourself some credit. And I think as brokers, I have that conversation a lot with my clients and I have a number of clients who I love dearly who are like, yep, I have all this time and I'm going to do all this stuff. And I'm like, wait, didn't you just tell me you worked 80 hours last week? Like when are you going to have this time? And so it is just important to really think about, because I know for myself, I'm a little idealistic about, you know, maybe what I can accomplish in a, in a certain period of time. So it is, um, yeah, it is a good, a good conversation and not unlike when I used to do therapy. Sure. And then I would also imagine, and I know I've had these conversations with my clients a lot, especially lately, like in this, in this climate that we are in, I've had to have a lot of hard conversations with people on the other end. You're talking about on the time end, but on the money end. So for those folks who know that they want to, that money is what they have to offer. They're not going to be out there sweat with sweat equity and hammering away and doing the work themselves. They're going to be hiring people to do it. And I've had to have very hard and real conversations with people that you might need more money for that than you think. And and whatever the prices are today, it's not going to be what the prices are by the time you get around to that work. So having those conversations, it is so important so that when, when people um, are making the decisions, they're making it with real information, not necessarily with our optimism. Because I think that, yeah. I mean, I don't know, I don't want to make sweeping generalizations, but I do think a lot of us investor types, especially the hardy bunch who are kind of bootstrapping it and just, you know, sweat equity and doing all these things. We wouldn't be doing that if we didn't have at sometimes maybe um, overly optimistic notions about what we can accomplish and what we can do. A question I ask a lot is, okay, you do all this and for what? Like, what does life look like? Especially if someone's thinking about a really big construction project there is, there has never been a kind of larger renovation that we've done that at one point during it, I've said, like, why am I doing this? Like, I I asked myself that at least once, probably sometimes while crying and thinking about how much money it costs. But 
you know, you, you also want to make sure that you do all this work or you put in all this money and was it worth doing? And I, to your point about being optimistic, my husband and I have definitely gone into some buildings and been like, wow, we can do all these cool things and we'll open up this wall and whatever. Um, and then someone will just say like, okay, and then what do you have? And, and Ed's really good about asking that. And then it's like, well, at the end, you actually still have really weird layouts and not great parking situation or whatever. And maybe it actually isn't a great opportunity. Um, so I do think that is another question I ask a lot is like, if you put in all this work and time and money, what do you have at the end? And would that be worth it to you? And sometimes the answer is, is no. That's a great question. One we should all be asking ourselves before we start any project in any kind of investment situation. Okay. So we've kind of gone over some stuff that buyers should be thinking about. What about, let's, let's talk to those people who maybe they bought their first investment or maybe it's not their first, but now they're owners and they're thinking about what to do with their investment next, or maybe the other pieces they're thinking about how to acquire the next investment. Maybe they've, they've had success with one and they're, and it's going well and they want to acquire the next. I think the number one thing is take care of it in part, because I personally feel like I have a moral responsibility to give people clean, safe places to live. Like that's somebody's home. They're paying you, especially in Portland, a lot of money to live there. So you should be taking care of it. And then on top of that, whether in the future you decide, okay, it's time to sell and go do something else, or it's time to refi and take that money to go do something else, which sometimes is an investment or sometimes it's paying for college for your kids or somebody in your family is sick or whatever. There's plenty of reasons people might need to use the equity in their investment. And you want to be able to get the most money out of it that you can. And the best way to do that is to take care of your buildings over time. So when an appraiser or whoever is walking in there, buyer, they're saying, wow, this is someone who paid attention. I want to own this building. And I know speaking from personal experience, we manage, you know, a number of properties that were previously owned by a variety of people. And there are a couple very well-known landlords who stand out because of the attention to detail that they have for their buildings. And those buildings are very easy to manage. They're clean. They're they're just well taken care of. And you feel that when you go in there. I think that's a really good feeling for people who live there. It's a good feeling for us. It's something we're proud to take care of. Having a well-maintained building is, is going to be what sets you up to be successful. Um, so I think that is like the number one most important thing someone can do. I think you're so right. A well-maintained property holds its monetary value, but there's also a lifestyle piece for you as a property owner and property manager. If your building is well-maintained, you're going to have happier tenants and happier tenants stay for a longer period of time. And the Mm -hmm. less turnover you have, the less, you know, it's a lot of work to turn over an apartment. So Um, So much work. I don't think people really understand how much work it takes to advertise and um, for tenants and to screen tenants and the number of applications you get and all that kind of stuff. And it, it is for me, I think most people get into real estate investing specifically because it kind of goes hand in hand with financial freedom. And so why would you spend all this money and then not take care of it? And it is like a short-term versus long-term payoff. So, you know, if you're pulling all the money out of your buildings and you're not maintaining them, 
then over time they're going to become less valuable or you're going to have to then come up with money from somewhere else to fix the roof or fix the boiler or whatever that might be. And so part of it is that we are playing the long game more. So that's, that's why I feel so strongly about it. I want you to talk a little bit more about your experience in how to leverage one property in order to purchase another. Yeah. So you need to have equity in the building to be able to pull out. Typically, if you were to do a cash out refi, we'll start with that one. The bank is going to want you to leave a certain percentage of equity in the building. So if you just bought a building two years ago, you put your 20% down and you haven't really done anything to it, you probably don't have that equity yet to pull out. Maybe in this market you do, but in general, you don't. For us, what we did specifically was a number of renovations in the units um, where we were living. So one of them we moved into and fixed up. One of them, the tenant left. So when they left, we fixed it up and we kept going from there. Because of that, in the span of a couple of years, the value had gone up pretty significantly. So we did a cash out refi. So because we put 20% down, there was already 20% plus the two or three years or whatever it was of us paying down the mortgage and the appreciation and value going up. And then on top of that, we had the value that we created from our sweat equity. So we contacted a lender, we got a new appraisal, and then they lent us, I think it was 75%, 80% of that appraised value minus what we already owed. So that's kind of the math to figure that out. The kind of something to think about when you do a cash out refi, so then you get a check, you have like, I don't know, say you have $100,000. That's pretty cool. But now you're paying interest on that money because you just took it out in the form of a loan. So some people might put it into the stock market. Some people are just okay with, you know, essentially spending money on money that's sitting in the bank. So that's one thing to think about is how quickly are you trying to do your next thing and what is going on with your money in the meantime. But then we were able to use that money as a down payment on a second property. Um, So that was how we did that. We've also done it when we've owner-occupied. Rather than doing a cash-out refi, like especially right now, where if you bought in the past few years, your rates are probably pretty low. You might not want to give that rate up. But if you're owner-occupying, you could do a line of credit and you can contact a bank and do a HELOC. Um, which is, it's basically the same thing, except it's a second line of credit. It's not getting rid of your first mortgage. So you wouldn't lose that great rate and rates for HELOCs vary depending on how long you want to be locked in for. So again, think about like, what am I using this money for? How long do I need access to this money for? If you know you're paying it back, a HELOC back in a year, get the best rate. If it's going to take you 30 years to pay it back, then you know maybe you take a higher rate, but it's fixed. So those are the two things that we've we've done um, and I think are probably the most traditional, but the action step is just call a lender that you trust and talk to them about what you're trying to do. And they should be able to present different options to you so that you understand what each one is. Early on, I wanted my 30-year fixed. I wanted to know exactly what my rate was going to be. I didn't want any surprises. Like My tolerance for risk was extremely low. And now having gone through it a couple of times, a 30-year fix isn't always the best rate. Sometimes an adjustable rate mortgage is a better option. So if you know part of your plan is to build equity as fast as possible in sweat equity or putting money back into the building or whatever that might be, maybe upfront you're evaluating different types of mortgages, which again is why 
have a lender that you trust, talk to a couple different lenders, um, make sure you feel like someone really is understanding what you're trying to do, because that may be a better option because your interest rate will be lower and you'll have paid down more within that span of time before you refi out. You know, sometimes those things are negotiable too. So having conversations with lenders, like especially if they're bigger properties, you can talk to them about building a loan in a way that makes sense for you and what you're trying to achieve. What about people who actually want to unload that investment? What what are things they should be thinking about? I don't really... The people who are taking their money and running and paying for college or going on vacation or retiring, congratulations to those folks. We don't really need to give them <laughs> advice. They can talk to their financial planners about that. But for the people who want to take that money and take it on to another investment, what do you have for them to, to be thinking about? I think the most common thing we all hear about is the 1031 exchange. If you're interested in it, you talk to a qualified intermediary or someone that does this professionally because there are a lot of little rules about it. But the big picture is that you take the money from the sale and you put it into a different property through a 1031 exchange, and it's a way to defer your capital gains. They're a really useful tool, but like with everything in investing, it's not a one size fits all. And it's not a, yes, you should just do that every time. For some people, it makes a lot of sense because the risk is with that next property, say you sell that next property and you don't want to do an exchange, then you have to go back to the beginning and pay the taxes that you deferred because it's not avoiding taxes. It's just deferring them. So again, depending on you and your life and where you're at in your life, that might not make sense. I'm in my thirties. I don't know that if I were to sell, well, I'll give you a real life example. I'm considering selling uh, some land that I have. And my first thought was, well, I'll just do a 1031 exchange into a multi-unit down here. And then as I've thought more about it, I I don't know that that's the best path for me. And it might be better to kind of pay the money now and then just be free of it and give myself some flexibility to decide what I want to do with it in, in my next phase of life versus having the pressure to find the right investment to get it into. And then you're kind of stuck with that, um, for potentially a while. And it might not have been the right investment uh, for where I want to be in 10 years. You know, So I think there are some people I've talked to who have kind of challenged my thinking about the exchange, that it's not just an automatic, you should definitely do it. Yeah. I think we'll probably at some point, we'll do an episode entirely on 1031. So we don't need to cover all the details of that here today. But um, I think two things that I think are worth pointing out is if, if you are considering a 1031, Definitely, as Kaylee said, talk to a qualified intermediary. That's what they call the professionals who handle these transactions. But also talk to your accountant and figure out what would be your tax burden if you were to not do it and get an accountant's perspective on this stuff. If you defer the capital gains now, what does it look like if you're paying the capital gains in 20 years and what's better? A lot of whether or not a 1031 makes sense for you or not has to do with, I think, a stage of life thing and where you're at, um, because there is a little trick that you can do with 1031, which is, is a way to eliminate capital gains in, in it through inheritance. And it is an interesting thing and something that people should ask questions about if they are, um, approaching retirement age with their investments. 
Um, okay, so we talked about buyers, what they should be thinking about. We talked about sellers and and existing um, property owners and how they can leverage their investments to move forward with other investments. What about professionals? I mean, what what should we as real estate brokers, what should we be thinking about talking with uh, investor clients? I think the biggest challenge that I have is there's so much information out there and there's so much information about a building, but not all of that information is actually useful. And depending on what you read or what you hear, people will drive into you that these certain data points are the only things that matter. And I think as brokers, we need to take that information, synthesize it and help people understand what it means for them because it's not the one size fits all. So side note, Kaylee's talking about data points like cap rate, short for capitalization rate and cash on cash return. If you're not sure what those things are, I definitely recommend that you look them up. Um, to have guidelines. And I think as brokers, we can help people determine like, what are your guidelines? What's your risk tolerance? What are you comfortable with? But I don't think I have any specific parameters that they have to be met or I won't invest. Every building is so different and every opportunity is so different. So I have guidelines, I have things I'm looking for. And I've been lucky that I've had people help me figure out what those are. And as as professionals, we need to be doing that for our clients because that's what they'll feel comfortable. That's what will make them feel comfortable. People want like, oh, it has to be a 6% cap rate because this person told me to, because investing is scary and spending hundreds of thousands of dollars is really scary. And so if you're looking for kind of that reassurance of like, okay, this is a good metric to go off of. I think we can meet that need and help people come up with things that make them feel comfortable in a way that would make sense for the investment that they're trying to buy. Before we go, I want to plug a phenomenal new group that Kaylee has launched, which is the Portland chapter of the real estate investor. It's investor H-E-R. So it's for women investors and it's meant to be an opportunity for us to come together and have other women to have these deep conversations with about financial freedom and real estate and all of those things. It's a monthly meetup for women at all stages of real estate investing. I attended the first meetup just last week at a brewery in East Bayside, and wow, I was so blown away by the collection of women who showed up. I heard so many incredible stories, and I learned a few things that have me dreaming up new opportunities this week. I even connected with someone for drinks later and talked about potential partnership. That group is the real deal. I highly recommend it if you are an investor in the area or you want to be. Join us for the next one. I'll be there for sure. Kaylee will be posting events on meetup.com. Keep in touch, people. I want to hear from you. I want to know if you're listening and what your thoughts are. If you've got something awesome to say, I might even share it on here. Message me on Instagram at For Real Estate Podcast or find me at portsiderealestategroup.com. That was great. Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Okay. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>